Hello and welcome to College Admissions with Mark and Anna. Each week we talk about different college admissions topics and answer those tough questions you may be dealing with concerning getting into the college of your choice. We know how stressful this process can be, so each episode we try to make it easier to navigate. Now, here are your hosts, Anna Wren and Mark Hofer. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the College Admissions Podcast with your host, Anna Wren and... Mark Hofer. So great to talk to you, Mark. We're really excited today because we have a special guest, which I know I know you're really excited to talk to, Mark. I, I'm excited to talk to anybody who's excited to talk about the things we like. Fair point, fair point. So I'd like to welcome Rick Clark, who is the Assistant Vice Provost and Executive Director of Undergraduate Admission at Georgia Tech. Rick is a thought leader and expert in college admission and the application process in the landscape of higher education in general. He's the co-author of The Truth About College Admission, A Family Guide to Getting In and Staying Together. Super important, by the way, um, especially in stressful times. He is also the creator of the Georgia Tech Admission Blog and the College Admissions Brief Podcast. Welcome to the show, Rick. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, looking forward to the conversation today. Great. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you would like to share about yourself for people that are not as familiar with you as we are? <laughs> um, no, I think you did a pretty good job of it. Um, you know, uh, like you said, here at Georgia Tech in Atlanta, and, um, you know, obviously love talking about this place. It's a phenomenal institution. Um, but to also try to use that platform to talk more broadly about college admission in general. And uh, as you said, sort of what's happening um, trend-wise and, and even hopefully in timely um, sections as this is the cycle. So, um, yeah, whatever we get into today will be great. Awesome. You want to kick it off, Mark? I know you got like so many burning questions. Oh, so many. And and Rick, as we were meant, as we were talking about before we started, um, I really appreciate your willingness to uh, step into the public and let them know what you, uh, especially in the the position you have in admissions, and try to make sense of all of the things that students and families are trying to make sense of while they apply to college, because there are very few people in your position, especially at the level you are, that's willing to actually have that discussion and put it out there to make some of the um, the steps of applying and getting admitted much clearer and less mysterious, I guess. Yeah. And so one of the things I'd like to know, uh, just so when families are applying, they're actually applying to a school that people actually read their applications, how did you get into the position you are at Georgia Tech now? What was the progression? Yeah. Um, well, I worked in a variety of different um, institutions, both on the secondary side and on the higher ed side um, in admission, but also um, working with alumni association uh, over at Georgia State University. I was at Wake Forest University. Uh, I was at the Macaulay School, which is a boys um, prep school in Chattanooga. Uh, and then here to Georgia Tech. And um, even at Georgia Tech, I've just done a variety of things. So been here a little while now um, and have seen lots of change in this institution, period, uh, but definitely in the work that I do and the scope of, of that work. Um, but I really appreciate having sort of, you know, I did all you know, worked with our dual enrollment students at one point. I uh, had a travel territory 
ended up working with our athletic association, with our communications department. And so along the way, have sort of done a little bit of everything. Um, and so now that I'm kind of overseeing the entire uh, office, you know, I didn't sit in every single person's chair, but um, many of them have had, uh, I think, six different offices and five different titles here. So Very good. So I, in your role there at Georgia Tech, you have um, certain things that you want to accomplish. What do you see as your mission in the position you are now? And like you said, you've seen changes. What have those yeah. changes been and which ones do you feel you want to continue doing and most proud of? Yeah, great question. Um, we've accomplished a ton here. Um, you know, one of the things when I first got to Georgia Tech, we were 28% female. Uh, Georgia Tech is a STEM heavy institution. Um, only 36 majors. We're not comprehensive. We are an institute. We're not a university. We're not a college. Uh, so we're not all things to all people. Um, and we are very STEM leaning. Uh, and over time, and, uh, and there's for a variety of different reasons for this, but um, we have made a very concerted effort to increase our female population. And so our first year class has been over 40% for a number of years, but we finally have moved the entire undergraduate population from at the time I got here, 28% to now about 41%. I think that's significant because industry comes to Georgia Tech to hire diverse talent, uh, diversity of all kinds, gender being one of those. Um, it is very clear and stated that they want more women at the table when it comes to policy creation, when it comes to product design and product creation. And so Georgia Tech is an answer to and always has been an answer to industry and the needs of industry. And we continue to be that. Um, so for sure, that's one. I'd say just to point out one other, um, you know, we've grown our undergraduate population. Again, when I got here, we were under 10,000 and now we're just under 20,000. And so uh, we've had significant growth um, at the undergrad population and, and really on the grad side, too. But our president, Angel Cabrera, talks a lot about this idea of expanding access. And we want to expand access to more students from more places. So more students from Georgia, first and foremost, as a public institution, but then more students from lots of different communities and particularly underserved communities or historically underrepresented populations at Georgia Tech. Um, and so, you know, many schools, and this is their purview, are not growing. Right. And each institution has to decide who they want to be and what they want to what they want to be. Um, Georgia Tech has decided that we want to expand access. And so that is a stated goal. Our class has continually increased. Um, even just looking three, four years ago, we were about 3000 first year students and we'll be 4000 first year students you know, within two years. And so um, we're not about trying to turn away more people. We're actually about trying to bring in more people because we believe that Georgia Tech education is powerful and has relevance and importance, um, you know, for our country and, and for the path forward as well. Wonderful. I love that. You guys have almost like doubled in size, basically. Um, right. And that's amazing. So for people, because Georgia Tech is well known, I'm sure in the South, even more so than up here in the North. But how would applicants who love Georgia Tech prepare their profile? Because it is, like you said, an institute. Um, it, in terms of academic rigor and how they spend their time. Um, how, what advice would you give to students who are like, I have to go to Georgia Tech? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, those are the two most important things. Um, sorry if you hear a whistle behind me. Uh, this is a Georgia Tech tradition though. 
Uh, it's a steam whistle that goes off and my building happens to be right by it. So I apologize <laughs> for that. Um, but, uh, but a pretty interesting uh, and great um, part of Georgia Tech lore. Anyway, um, you know, I think that a lot of times you'll hear people ask, you know, what's the most important thing? And a lot of admission people somehow just sort of wave the holistic admission wand and make it sound like everything's just equally important. Um, and that's really not true. The, the truth is that academic preparation, course choice, and course performance are the most important thing, period, everywhere. Um, it, it just is, right? Because you could have a kid who interviews well and writes good essays, but if they can't do the academic work, well, the admission director is losing their job. So they're not going to have that job very long, right? Um, so academic preparation and, and, and rigor. And so for us at Georgia Tech specifically, um, you know, we want to see students who are pushing and stretching themselves um, because this place pushes and stretches people. You know, it's not just arbitrary, right? It's not about taking as many APs as you can or, you know, clamoring for more and more. Um, it's about being prepared when you get here. And we see that reflected through course choice. Um, everybody goes to a different high school and what's available to them varies. And no one school is necessarily better than the other. But within your context, you have choice. Um, and what we see is almost like a character trait, right? If you're pushing and stretching yourself, um, particularly in the areas that you're looking to or think anyway, you'd like to study long term. Well, that makes sense, A, because you're trying to be prepared. But it also says that when you don't really have that choice, <laughs> i.e. if you're a Georgia Tech student, like professors are going to push and stretch you. And so you've chosen it, you're ready, and that's kind of who you are and what you want, and you're going to get that here. Um, and then the other thing that you highlighted, and when we look at, um, you know, what's predictive of success at Georgia Tech, um, it's really not test scores. Um, it's really not, you know, multi-syllabic words in an essay. It is course choice and preparation and what you do outside the classroom. Not so much that you've done particular things, but you've figured out a way with your 24-hour slice of pie that you discretionary time that you want to invest that in your community, that you want to have an influence on people around you, and that you've figured out how to like manage your time. And that's a, that's a college student necessity, right? A human lifelong necessity. But, you know, we really do want to see students who are, we, we kind of look at the three I's. So involvement, impact, and influence. Um, and, I, and I think that that's a, a big part of our process. Georgia Tech's motto is progress and service. Um, and we think and use in our rubric a lot of talk around this. Like, do we see elements of a student's progress and service? Um, and so, you know, when you talk about institutional priorities or fit or match or whatever the chosen term might be um, for Georgia Tech, it is it is that idea that um, doesn't mean you have to hold a lot of particular titles or offices, but that we see evidence of impact uh, and, and service. It's interesting. Your three eyes are very similar to how medical schools look at applicants um, and their applications when they come in there's five basic things if you don't have them you are not going to be considered and so mm -hmm. i i like you i like your three eyes and and narrowing it down and also putting in service as well and that's a, a part yeah. of it um piggybacking on on the admissions part of that uh one of the things that when i have students and i work a lot with stem students and having um worked with them they look at the average accepted gpa and your average mm -hmm. accepted weighted GPA is 4.1, which is higher than Stanford and Harvard yeah. and Princeton. 
Yeah. And yet you're, you have 20% admission rate. Mm-hmm. And now knowing 40% of your class is are women. Right. With that, you look at these metrics and from your positions, you see these numbers and you know the numbers of other schools. Mm-hmm. What do those mean to you? And how do you, what's your perspective on what those numbers actually mean? Yeah, I think that last part's the big thing, right? Is um, when you are able to extract data from different schools, like common data sets or iPads, like people think that's apples to apples and it's really not. Um, you know, so, it, and it's not, it's not schools trying to be cagey. I mean, we're just answering the questions and reporting data like we're asked to do. But um, one of the things I would say is like, I mean, we live, okay, so 60% of Georgia Tech undergrads come from the state of Georgia. Uh, this is a state that has a lottery-funded scholarship. This is a state where if you graduate from high school with a 3.7 or higher uh, in a certain SAT score, you're going to have tuition covered at Georgia Tech or any other public in the state. Frankly, that leads to great inflation. So what I would say is that part of our data gets skewed. And that's, listen, I'm not saying that Georgia Tech students are smart or well prepared, they are, and all of our all of our uh, you know retention and graduation rates and all these other things point to that, right? It's not a criticism on the students, but I think systematically here in our state, because of that lottery funded scholarship, you definitely have some some inflation of grades. Um, so I would caution. I think the bigger story there is I would caution people, even though they think they're looking at something that is that looks symmetrical, like as you said, Stanford to Georgia Tech on GPA. Um, it's it's not as apples to apples as maybe any of us would like, um, and therefore helpful, but not um, something always to be taken with a grain of salt, I think, for students who are um, applying. Uh, at the end of the day, though, any of those schools that you named, I mean, it just means, yeah, they're taking smart, well-prepared students who are, again, as we said earlier, pushing and challenging themselves in, in their courses in high school. Very good. That's very helpful. <laughs> it is. And it's helpful for, I think, especially because I work with and Mark and I obviously work with out of state students for them to have that context because they see like an acceptance rate and they don't realize that 60% come from in state. So that acceptance rate for out of state students is significantly lower. So I think that's very yes. helpful sure. for people to take into consideration. But piggybacking off of common data set. I have a question in terms of you're a large public school, though not as large as some other ones. You know, obviously we talked about academics and we talked about where time is spent, but you know, there is that idea of like letters of recommendation or like essays, these intangibles. So for your uncommon data set, Georgia Tech considers, and I've listened to your podcast too. And so can you offer, I guess, context for students who are trying to debate whether or not, because you don't require, at least I don't think you require letters of recommendation, whether or not they should submit and how it's considered at Georgia Tech being a large public school. Right. Yes. Um, so counselors are always going to send in their, you know, the profile. They're going to complete the form on the Common App. And then along with that, there will be counselor information um, yeah, that's received, right? So we're always going to receive that, review that, and take that into consideration, as, um, as you said. Uh, beyond that, though, Right. Um, we do understand, again, part of this goes back to what 7% of American students, and um, obviously not all our students come from this country, but 
Um, you know, a very small handful of students in the country go to private or independent schools where they have, you know, smaller ratios, both to teachers and to counselors. Um, unfortunately, you know, that average um, is about 500 to one counselor to student ratio. And, you know, I was the chair of government relations for NACAC. And I mean, I've been on Capitol Hill. I've been on Georgia's, uh, at Georgia's legislator talking about the importance of decreasing those, those um, counselor-student ratios. It's, I mean, it's a travesty, really, um, that students aren't better counseled. And it leads to all kinds of problems, you know, honestly, for um, students who, from the beginning, aren't as well-served anyway. So it just it is just more and more of an inequity every year, um, which we should be embarrassed about. Um, but that said, I think, um, you know, that's what we're trying to communicate is this is not going to be some linchpin critical part of your application because the majority of our students already have teachers and counselors who are doing their absolute best just to support the students they have, teach the classes that they have, um, and, you know, wear all the other hats that schools expect them to wear, right? Um, and so when they are, when they are, I guess the, what you're asking is, should a student send it? Here's my, my take is, um, if they have a teacher who really wants to write for them, if they have a counselor that really wants to kind of go beyond the kind of normal, normal framework, then we're open to receiving that. Um, but they can rest easy knowing that is never going to be, um, the necessity is never going to be the, the ultra tipping point. I mean, it's unfortunate because, you know, at the end of the day, the whole reason these started, you know, looking historically back is there's value in an adult in a school community writing to an adult in another school community. There's a ton of value. I mean, it, it, it says a lot, right, about we want to know. We wish we could know more about what a student is really like inside these classrooms. Uh, but again, the reality of American uh, K-12 education and, and not so different even abroad um, is that they are spread very thin. Um, and that's that's a real challenge. So um, hopefully that's helpful. I mean, um, I think the big thing is if a student has a teacher that wants to write for them and if they just feel like they want this to be included in their application, of course, they should send that. Um, but they can also sort of breathe a little bit knowing that it's certainly not going to be a disadvantage if they don't have it. Fine. Thank you. So, so Rick, you, you've done a lot of the different components that are associated with applications and admissions. And now you represent some of who... We know are the hardest working people in show business, which they're the ones who actually have the application come in. They read them. They read the essays. They read the recommendations, which is a huge amount of work. And it sounds like at Georgia Tech, it's an increasing huge amount of work. So with that in mind, um, you know what their life is like to go through what I call, you know, Super Bowl season when all the applications come in and they have amount of time to identify who's going to be attending the university next year. So right. what are some of the things, can you describe what, what, a, uh, what a representative's and an evaluator's life is like for those couple weeks? And also, can you like reverse engineer that and say, if you're a student who is writing an application, if you want to make their life easier... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and make your application more successful mm -hmm. think of it think of a think of providing these things yeah yeah absolutely well i think 
you know, one thing that I hope is helpful to students, and one of you referenced this earlier, um, I believe when we hit record, maybe it was in our conversation prior to this, um, you know, that these are people, right? For, let's start there. These, these are real people who have families who know what Instagram is, who walk dogs, who take vacations. And I think that that's important for students to be reminded of because they can fool themselves into thinking that this is either, you know, all done automated and we're just going to throw stuff into a spreadsheet and draw a line, which frankly would be a lot easier um, and save us a lot of time, but we don't do that. Uh, or that these are not real people. They're actually, you know, cyborg judges, you know, who just like are looking for commas places and are already against them even when they apply, right? Um, that it is, you know, and if it's funny, if you ask students, like, who do you think's reading it? The, the responses you get about like, what they're wearing, how old they are, and, you know, sort of you know, any of these kind of things is so far from the reality. So one thing is the pandemic was tough for higher education and education in general on many levels, but, but it also brought some really, I think, bright silver linings. And one of those, back to your idea of like, who are these people? What does their day in their life look like? You know, for us, um, right now, we're just asking people to be in one to two days a week. Um, so many of these files are being read in their homes, right? Um, and I think that's also important. The pandemic was good because you had counselors doing Zoom calls with cats and kids and stuff behind them. And it was a good reminder to students, like, these are just people, you know, they're just people doing their best too. They're not perfect, um, you know, and they don't expect me to be perfect. So I think that's, that's helpful to start with. When they're writing, they get so worried about... Um, the essay and the, all kinds of consternation. Like the per person on the other side is not perfect either. They have judgment and grace and empathy and all the things that uh, anybody with blood and DNA has. Um, I think that, uh, you know, what are they looking for and what can a student do to put their best foot forward? You know, I try to tell students to think about this. This is not the way a student completes an application, but it is the way an application is read. That it's read, <laughs> it's read like a story. Right. And um, they I, I would hope that what a student would be would do is, yeah, they put down their biographical information. And it seems like they're just saying, I have two siblings and my parents are divorced and whatever the rest of their and I live on this street in this state. And then they move on. Right. And they start telling us about activities and they move on. They start writing for us and they move on. They do the supplements. And sometimes they section that out and they do those on different days or whatever. But I would encourage students, and this is the upside of being done well before a deadline, is to revisit that and read it the way we read it. Open it for the first time and say, all right, let me look through this. Now, what did I miss? You know, and if I'm reading through this, like, I think that they'll oftentimes duplicate things. And that's, that's, that's such a waste. Um, you know, when you just gave us your activities and then the essay reads like a resume in paragraph form, you know, or we already are very clear on the fact that you are all doubled down on athletics. Like, I don't write your essay about that. Like, we learn nothing more. That's like writing the seventh chapter again. You know, give us chapter eight. Give us the next thing. Compliment your essay. And so, um, or better yet, hand it to like, you know, your parents' colleague or something and let them read it for you. Somebody that's an adult that doesn't really know you and isn't biased for you. I, I think there's a lot of value in that. Um, the neighbor's neighbor kind of thing. 
um, where they can say, you know, here's what I'm getting out of this. It's the best way to simulate an adult who isn't biased, right? And doesn't already have knowledge of, of your background. Um, I think that's really helpful. So, um, yeah, I mean, our, our staff is reading and we, we employ 60 seasonal people and then we have about 40 on staff. Um, so that gives you a size concept. We got a little over 52,000 applications this year. Uh, and so we're going to run from October to March. Um, and I would say on a daily average, somewhere around 40 to 50 um, is, is probably standard. And so I think that's the other thing for a student to know, um, not just at a Georgia Tech, but a place, you know, where they're going to have high volume. Like, you know, if they're reading 40 essays a day, 50 essays a day, whatever the number might be, like, I better be pretty specific here. I mean, if I'm not, I better tell them something and, and start with a good line that's going to hook them in because otherwise, if it's not standing out, you know, and their mind is being specific, it's absolutely not standing out to someone who's turning around and reading another one 15 minutes later. So specificity is, is huge. Very good. That's very helpful. <laughs> that is. That's very specific as well. So diving into essays a little further, um, I think a lot of kids will take hopefully that good advice of trying not to repeat things. <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine reading 40 essays of the same thing over and over again. Um, now your supplemental essay is why do you want to study X major at Georgia Tech? Um, so what specific information are you guys typically looking for in that? Is it really like what drew their interest into that major, how they have explored it, why they want to do it there? What are you guys looking for in your supplemental essay? Because you guys only have one right now. Right. Yeah, we went away from more than one because um, we didn't feel like it was necessary to keep asking students to write more. In fact, we tried to go away. We One year, we tried to go away from the Common App general essay, um, uh, but it was pointless because then it, it drew more questions and consternation, and we ended up getting them anyway. Um, but uh, we feel like we can get, like, can you write in even in the supplemental length, um, can you communicate? Can you be cogent or succinct or you know whatever? Um, what we're looking for there is I mean, this is as close as Georgia Tech will ever get to demonstrated interest. You know, I mean we're not gonna we're not uh, expecting students to come visit. You know, we know they're busy, and many of our students come from thousands of miles away. Um, that's not a realistic expectation you know, on our part. So, so an application is demonstrated interest for Georgia Tech. Um, but we do want to know like, okay, you, you've looked into, um, you know, you pick the major neuroscience or, uh, nuclear engineering or public policy. Like you didn't just sort of Google, you know, schools in the South that have this and, and apply to all of them. Um, there was, there was a little bit more to it. Um, and so I think what we're looking for is what I would call like second tier type questions. I mean, not what you can get on the, on the homepage of, of a website kind of stuff, but, um, you know, again, we don't expect students to have visited, but we do kind of expect them to do a little bit of their homework into, you know, here's how I can tell that Georgia Tech is focusing or kind of distinct in this, in this particular major. Um, and that's, that is helpful to us um, because, again, Georgia Tech students in general are focused. I mean, they are they are going to need to when they're here 
dig in to whatever it is that they're studying and doing. And so we feel like that's a very realistic and helpful question to ask because we want students who go beyond just sort of the, the preliminary, easy surface level, um, you know, responses and research. I mean, that's, that's what makes a good Georgia Tech student at the end of the day. Yep. Do your homework. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm in a previous life, I hired a lot of engineers and scientists and worked with them. And I really appreciate one of the characteristics that runs through really good engineers and scientists. And that's they do a lot of the same things in their off time. What they do for joy and passion have a lot to do with what they just do naturally. And it happens to fit right in with what they do for a job. Now, when you're looking at applications to a technical school and a lot of STEM-based applicants are coming in, and you also noted the increase in the number of women who are being accepted to Georgia Tech. Mm -hmm. So with those kind of ideas, when you're looking at applications, what would you say to the sophomore who's out there in high school and they're thinking, I'm thinking about going to a STEM school? What are the things they should be thinking about doing as a freshman, sophomore that will show well on their application when they apply as a junior? Well, inside the classroom, I would just say, go back to class. Don't worry about college. <laughs> just go back to class. Go back yep. to class and do well. Uh, but for STEM, and so let's just narrow in here. We're talking about STEM students uh, or students applying to STEM-heavy schools. Um, math matters. You know, and math progression does matter. So course choice around math and continuing to um, try to maximize your math offerings is valuable. Um, and, you know, to give you an example of that, like at many institutions, they teach pre-calc all the time. I mean, we usually have one, maybe two sections of pre-calc in a class of 3,600 first-year students. So that's like 3060 or so. Now, the pandemic has, has had an impact on that. We've seen more students in pre-calc and actually more students shifting back from calc two to calc one. But when you're talking about a, a ultimately a major that might require 130, 136 course hours, starting in math as a major foundation for that, like being able to graduate, if that's your goal in four years or four and a half years, like math really matters. Being able to start, I always say like in the batter's box instead of in the dugout kind of thing, because that pitch is coming and, um, you know, you just need to be ready. And so if you're, if you're a sophomore uh, or a freshman, you know, that, that course selection is really, really important. Um, to your point about oftentimes people STEM interested do STEM things outside the classroom. Um, I think that's true. I, I think that's probably always been true. I think it's a bit unfortunate that our culture has, push kids to be more specialized no matter what they're interested in. I mean, it doesn't even, it's not even just that, right? I mean, if you're a good violinist, like they want you more year round than ever before. If you're a good tennis player, they want you more year round than ever before. And that's, in my opinion, unfortunate. Um, but it's also something, again, this goes back to admission people or people. We also live in this world. We also have our own kids. We also see what's happening around us. And so we understand that specialization at an earlier age, whether we want to push against it or bemoan it or not, is reality. Um, still, though, in a class our size, big as we are, 
I mean, yeah, you get those pointy kids that are all in on whatever it is they're interested in, but you still get plenty of quote unquote well-rounded kids who are, you know, doing lots of different things. And um, there's a place for all of that in a class this size. Now, I can't speak for Caltech when they have, uh, you know, a 12th the size of our first year class. Maybe all those kids are super in on a smaller number of things. I I don't know. But, um, you know, if you're talking about some of those places like this, um, I wouldn't, I guess, back to thinking about this hypothetical sophomore, I wouldn't worry so much about what it is. I would just be back to involvement, impact, and influence. Like, when you graduate, will you be missed? That's the core question. And you can be missed by the drama club sponsor. You can be missed by the tennis coach. You can be missed by, um, you know, whoever it might be. But ultimately, admission people, they're just looking for good high school students. Period. Yeah. Like, that's the fundamental truth. And you can be that and be involved in lots of different things. There's no there's no recipe on Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I'm going to get a bumper sticker made with, with I'm going to steal the will you be missed when mm. you graduate. I think that's yeah. a, that is a, a, a good tenant to live by. And actually you answered my question. I, I kind of had a hidden agenda in it and you teed it up nicely. And that's a lot of the scientists and engineers I work with have a very broad number of things that they're interested in. Mm-hmm. They may be relied, re- related to science, but not always. And I think that yeah. that's one of the things that a lot of technical schools, even though they're STEM based, they love to see the student who also, yeah, they love music. Um, they also happen to be able to build their instrument, but they <laughs> love music or they may have other things that they bring to the table because it makes them a much more valuable engineer or scientist no just question. by I that mean, perspective. So That's true. And in fact, uh, our, our largest minor at Georgia Tech and has been our largest minor for many years, it's not computer science, it's not whatever else you think it might be, it's music. Uh, hmm. and that, oh, that that's mind, awesome. That mind definitely is connected. Um, our prior provost, um, Raphael Bras, um, you know, put a ton of money and a ton of effort into public art here on our campus uh, because he really feels like, you know, back to this idea of not, um, you know, industry comes to Georgia Tech, as I said earlier, for diverse talent. Um, diverse talent in many ways. Like that's why Google, I can look right out my window and see there big old emblem facing our campus. Microsoft is right. They are literally competing to put their logos facing our campus, you know, um, <laughs> on these buildings around here. They come here for diverse talent, but they also come here for creative problem solving. And, you know, when you talk about inspiration and art, you know, there's, we needed to put more focus and emphasis on that in a very palpable, visible way. And so when you walk around this campus now versus 10 years ago before, Frost really started to make that such a linchpin of his thumbprint on this place. Um, it's night and day. And it's really true that, you know, um, giving students opportunity for creative expression uh, seems like just like one of those extra things. But no, that's very tied to the way their mind is working, the way they're approaching problems, and that they take that from being a student into the workplace, which, again, every school's got its role, but we've always been here to supply industry with talent. Yeah, it, it. It, that that perspective of engineering without art is math. And I think that's <laughs> one thing that students need to understand. It's not just math. So no, the most creative or I'm sorry, the most successful and usually the most well-paid engineers are the ones that can do the math, but they can also explain it and they can also um, extrapolate it and apply it. 
and be um, super innovative, right? And um, sometimes that takes being inspired in simple ways, Love like that. art on the campus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like he's living that impact, right? Um, so, you know, I think Mark's original question raises a, a podcast I'd listened to where you talked about an email you received from a seventh grader and their concerns about applying for college. And so, you know, I wanted to touch on this a little bit, which is, you know, that there is an increasing amount of anxiety and stress from teens and their families regarding college admissions. Seems like it's starting earlier and earlier. Um, If you could change the college admissions process for the better, let's say you had a magic wand, what would you change? What would that look like? Yeah. Well, on the side of seventh graders and, you know, like my son is an eighth grader and, you know, thinking about kids that are in that like seventh, eighth, ninth timeframe, even arguably 10th, like before they really need to be worried, I think at all about college, like, for anybody I talked to that was in that ballpark, I think, and do talk to that's in that ballpark time frame, the one of the things I try to tell them is colleges need students. This is a very <laughs> fundamental truth. Um, colleges have always needed students. Um, coming out of the pandemic, colleges need students more than they ever have before. Coming out of the pandemic and leading into the demographic cliff, Colleges will need students more than they ever have before. Coming out of the pandemic, paying for this demographic cliff with all of the fragility internationally, colleges mm-hmm. will need domestic students more than they ever have before. You, If you go back to class and you get involved outside the classroom, you are going to have choices and options. And that's what it's all about. So just go back to class and do stuff outside the classroom. Now, no, I can't, you know, Stanford, Harvard, some of these other places, like they're never going back into the double digit admit rate range. Mm-hmm. So nobody can make you a guarantee on that ever. In fact, I got a email from a counselor today that was talking about they thought they were going to be able to predict how this was going to go. It's like, stop trying to do that and stop ever saying that to a student. You cannot, in, in these type of ranges of selectivity, that's impossible. And you're going to only frustrate yourself and dilute your credibility if you think you can predict this stuff. So um, I think that the big thing is that there are more than 50 schools. And, you know, in fact, if yeah, I tell students a lot, like, um, go look at like some of the brands or athletes or politicians or whoever it is that you think is really great. And look where they went to college. Like it's not, it's not the, a lot of places you've, you've heard of before. Like you can be successful, happy, fulfilled in all ways and go to a place that is not, you know, got some high ranking, super selective. I mean, even, you know, even here at Georgia Tech, like in my time, we've decreased our admit rate by 50%. Not on purpose. We really have truly not tried to do this. We've played zero games. Um, but we have gone, we are sitting in an intersection of ROI and STEM unlike any other school in the country. We have gone from 67% to 17% admit rate during my time here. I would argue we're not that much better of a school. I mean, the kids that we graduated when it wasn't that hard to get in here, many of them are millions. Like many of them are running companies. They're super involved in their community. They have four kids. Whatever it is they've chosen to prioritize, they're happy. And it wasn't hard to get in. And there's a lot of schools around here, around in our country, where selectivity is not the thing. Like, what's the student experience and, and what kind of network are you going to create? What kind of opportunities are you going to have when you're there and when you go? And frankly, 
what are you going to do to be proactive to take advantage of that? So, you know, that is something I would say to younger students. Colleges need students more than they ever have before. And um, students go lots of different places and are phenomenally successful. If I could wave a magic wand and change something in college admission, and I, I hope this is coming and I think AI may push it, is um, I hope we can find a way to make it easier for kids to apply in the medium where they're comfortable. The truth is that the Common App is pretty antiquated. Um, you know, not just picking on them, any app is pretty antiquated at this point. Um, I wish that kids might be able to voice record and submit more stuff. I honestly wish that the boss from Subway um, could do that too. You know, we don't, we shouldn't make it so hard for people to give us good information. Um, I, I hope we'll be more multimedia um, friendly going forward because that's just where these kids live. And it's ultimately going to be what is most um, needed as college students and beyond for them. So let's, um, let's let them do that. I, I, and I think, I guess my point is, I think AI might break the college admission essay going forward anyway. I don't see a lot of schools having a college admission essay within the next two to three years. Um, I think that's, you know, going to shift. Now, maybe they have to submit a paper that was graded. Maybe they need to do a time, uh, you know, like I can see this where I, you log on and you have 20 minutes to write a two to three paragraph essay. And, and it's, you know, that's it. And then you, you submit it and there is no, you know, freaking out for six weeks about whether or not you put a colon instead of a you know, dash or something in your essay. So maybe that's a good thing. No, Rick, that's an M dash, not a dash. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> like it's all about accessibility at Georgia Tech. Yeah, I mean, I think so. And I, I think um, I'm hopeful that that's bigger than just us. You know, I, I hope that most most schools will start to move that direction. I hope the common app will start to move that direction. Um, places and organizations that have influence. So Rick, one of the things as an educator, when I was in the classroom and when I was in, you know, industry, I really, one of my personal, professional, spiritual missions was trying to not only encourage, but open doors so that young women could see opportunities so that when they really wanted to get into STEM and they saw that it was something that they did well and they were encouraged, it it was like, it has been like banging my head against the wall to be successful in that for 30 years. Mm-hmm. It's improved, but not improved the way it should. You've just said that you've moved your your statistical uh, rate of acceptance and the number of women that are on Georgia Tech's campus almost mm-hmm. double, if not more. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you attribute that success to and how are you achieving that larger increase? Yeah, I mean, I think I I looked at this recently. I think there's 1300 more female undergrads at Tech this year than there were just five years ago. So it's it's significant. Um, uh, A couple of things. I mean, so first of all, I I will acknowledge like we, we we have benefited from the rise of STEM. Um, you know, just the emphasis on STEM at the K-12 level, right? There's, there's no doubt, um, that that is just producing more students who have an interest towards STEM, um, boys and girls, right? Um, cause that's what we're talking about. I mean, we're talking about elementary school kids and, and middle school, I mean, boys and girls, um, not, not men and women, literally boys. Um, and you know, there's tons of good data, especially for girls on, um, being encouraged in the STEM fields and how even at that second and third grade, I mean, that is like such a linchpin piece. Second and third grade is when 
these girls need to have confidence and success um, to stick with it. And so, you know, finding ways to um, change what's being communicated at that age is, is critical. I mean, demonstrating that um, STEM uh, fields are very collaborative. They're very oriented. That's a, that's a stereotype and misconception um, that is still out there. And that, um, I mean, studies will show gender-wise um, push oftentimes girls away from, from STEM, right? And so um, some of that still needs to change. The pedagogical approach to these things and the reality of, of um, what this really means. But for Georgia Tech, I mean, we, of course, yes, we dip down into the K-12 level through some of our outreach arms here. Um, something called Seismic is really big of bringing um, kids to campus and also going out into communities, really mainly in our state um, and, and being way more present in elementary schools in particular um, than we ever were before. So I put a big hat tip towards um, that group here on campus. That's not my team. Um, that is a whole different um, division, really, that has a big influence into teacher training, um, but also um, literally you know, student tutoring and um, community change around STEM, perception of STEM, much of that um, assists in the pipeline for women, girls into um, students here at Tech. And then for us, another big thing we have done is we've collaborated a lot with our math department and our computer science department to offer more distance Georgia Tech classes, um, primarily for juniors and seniors. But that has been huge because um, what it's shown, I think, students, but definitely girls, because I've worked in this now for 15 years at Georgia Tech, um, with with girls in distance um, math in particular is um, they can see the professor, they can see the class, they can see that they're actually having success. Um, and they know that they've done it. They're not just being told they can, they've actually done it. And I think that's really important because I have talked way more disproportionately to girls sometimes who are extremely smart, very, very capable, and and yet doubt themselves still, um, even though they've they've done great in high school. So when they can actually do Georgia Tech classes and have success, you don't have to convince them of it. They they believe it. They know it. And I think that's really um, also part of the equation for us. Very good. That's really really uh, useful for sure. The the one thing you have taken the role in your position of putting a lot of information out there. You, you've written books, you have a podcast. Are there other um, things that you would suggest that students and families uh, look for and listen to, um, to help set them up for success in the college application process? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Um, look for and listen to, you know, I might flip that a little bit. <laughs> If it's okay. Uh, Fair. If it's okay, I might flip that on its head a little bit and say, I think, and this goes back to our prior the answer to the prior question. I think sometimes what they have to figure out is who and what not to listen to. Um, there's a lot of, you know, there's, there's a lot of noise out there that breeds some of this anxiety. There's a lot, you know, I think for, um, for parents, one of my biggest pieces of advice is, um, you know, parents of high school students, should talk to fewer parents of high school students about college admission <laughs> um, and more parents of current college students or recent college grads because parents of other high school students, I mean, 
they lie. Um, or they exaggerate <laughs> great, right? And they, they have just enough information where it sounds right, but it's not like, did you know that last year that school didn't take any kids from our high school? Well, that's not true. You know, um, and then, um, or the, the public school down the street or the private school down the street has this advantage and blah, blah, blah. Like it's just not accurate. Um, so I think that yeah, students and parents need to figure out what they are and are not going to listen to and kind of escape out of their echo chamber. Um, I think social media can be used for good, but I also think in general, students should um, be reminded that all of us, all of us, um, there again, lie, exaggerate, and put our best foot forward because every meal that looks amazing like was followed by a bill we didn't want to pay or tripping on the curb on the way out. And like life falls apart for all of us, you know? And so I think that they just need to be more listening to a themselves like what did they really want what are they excited about what are they really aspiring to um and the people that are around them that they know are are supporting them because they believe the same thing that they're amazing that they are going to have choices and options you know and that kind of thing um versus you know too often you know the natural gossip that occurs at soccer fields and um you know, on Instagram, whatever. Awesome. Well, on that note, thank you so much, Rick, for your time. Um, for people that are not as familiar with you, how can they learn more about you or get in touch? Thanks again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess a couple easy ways. So uh, unless, you know, Elon Musk completely burns it down, I'm still on Twitter um, <laughs> at Clark, the number two college, Clark two college. Um and then uh, you can follow Georgia Tech in any way you want at GT Admission, all social media platforms. The blog, as you mentioned, is you can just find it from the admission site at Georgia Tech. Um, and then our book and podcast is called The Truth About College Admissions. So um, those are a couple of the ways. Great. Well, thank you so much again for your time and expertise, Rick. It was a pleasure having you. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you, Rick. Thanks for listening to College Admissions with Mark and Anna, where we make getting into college easy and fun. Don't forget to go over to iTunes and subscribe to get updated each time we release a new episode. Also, for more helpful college admissions information, visit our website at www.collegeadmissionspodcast.com.